We're in the midst of a series. We're going through some of the parables that Jesus told. Uh, so we're the series called The Stories Jesus Told. And today's is, is a very interesting one. And um, as, as all of the parables that Jesus told, they're, meant, they're supposed to be a shock value, by the way. Okay, they're supposed to, like, what? You know, they're supposed to be, so if you're, uh, you know, that sh- these parables should evoke that kind of uh, feeling. Uh, there's supposed to be some sort of a conflict here. Um, and so, uh, let me just tell you just a, a brief story that has nothing to do uh, with the parable, but it's about a warning. It's about a warning. So, the, you all remember the eruption of Mount St. Helens, okay, uh, May of 1980, right? It was a sudden event. For two months prior to the massive blast, the mostly most deadly and destructive in American history, by the way, earthquakes and volcanic activity signaled the major event was underway. So authorities had plenty of time to sound the alarm and warn those living nearby of a looming danger. Yet, despite the seriousness of the threat, some people chose to disregard the warnings. You know, it happens with hurricanes. It's happens with, it happened with this uh, volcanic eruption. So probably the best known of those who refused to evacuate was a man by the name of Harry Randall Truman. The 83-year-old man was the owner and caretaker of Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. He had survived the sinking of his troop ship by German submarine off the coast of Ireland during World War I. He was not about to leave just because scientists thought there was danger. Truman told reporters, I don't have any idea whether it will blow, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up. Then on May 18, 1980, Truman and his lodge were buried beneath 150 feet of mud and debris from the volcanic eruption, and his body was never found. Uh, now, that's not a pick-me-up illustration, as you can tell, but there is um, something to learn from that, I hope, in that, you know, you have to, you know, he has tried to assess whether this warning was something that he ought to heed, right? And um, certainly, you know, when people talk about Jesus, uh, I mean, he's the undisputed most loving person of all time. Um, but today in this parable, you're going to see Jesus give a very stern and alarming warning. Okay, and so you're going to have to decide whether you're going to heed it or not. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that from it uh, we get our spiritual nourishment. And uh, Lord, today we, we just uh, admit that we need it. We always need uh, to, to get our spiritual um, selves fed God, from your word and and so, Lord, this morning we just pray that you would do that for us. And also, Lord, we want to just take time here to pray uh, for just those in our church family who are hurting, uh, maybe those here who have family uh, that are hurting in need of your healing touch, your encouragement, your strength, your sustaining power. God, we just pray that you would do that. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it would be helpful for you and I to have a little bit of context as to what happens right before Jesus tells this story, okay? Because a lot of times, 
the story, the parable that Jesus is going to tell comes right on the heels of something that he's, he's just saying, okay, I'm going to uh, reveal the spiritual uh, nature of these people's hearts I'm speaking to and illustrate the point. And this is what we, so we're in this uh, parable of the rich man and Lazarus, but right before it, in Luke chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, just look what the verses say. The Pharisees, who are religious leaders, right? The Pharisees who were lovers of money. I mean, there were many things, but it not it interesting that he points out they were lovers of money? Lovers of money heard all these things that Jesus was saying, right? And they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You get that? He's, he's kind of showing the big contrast here. He's like, you guys uh, are all concerned about putting on a great show, religious show, before others and how religious you are. Uh, but he's like, I really know what your hearts are like on the inside. And he, he was pointing out that Typically, you know, what's exalted in the world, right, is an abomination in the sight of God. And, uh, of course, these Pharisees thought they were on God's side. In verse 6, uh, well, I guess, did I go up to 15? I didn't go up to 16. Or just 14 and 15. Now, so let's take a look at this parable. So, that, you know, so Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. He's saying, you know, your outward, how you live your lives is... T- you know, is, is you're so concerned about what others think and not what God thinks, really, and your hearts aren't right. And even that last little comment there in verse 15, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And so as you, we read through this parable, you will see a great reversal happen, a great contrast, contrast and a great reversal. So I'll just read through here, uh, Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31. That's the that's the parable. That's the story. All right. So it says, so Jesus is telling the story. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your life received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, 
lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is God's word. You know, and I said it's a sobering word, right? But, you know, the thing about it is you can't just read the parts of the Bible that you like to hear, <laughs> okay? Because um, you're going to miss some really critical information. And this is one of the, one of the things. And so, um, again, just keep that in mind. You know, Jesus is providing for us. In a, he's saying this in a loving manner, he's, but he's, he's, he's being very truthful. And he's saying, this is a warning. This is a warning. Will we heed it? Or will we just say, oh, he's just trying to take away my fun? So two men and two destinies, that's what we're calling the message today. Two men and two destinies. Well, let's look at the two men. The two men. Well, the rich man uh, is talked, at least initially, uh, about in verse, uh, verse 19 and then verse 25. Take a look back at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. Well, what you might not know is to have purple clothing back then was a big deal. Hard to make purple clothing, have purple dot. It's very expensive. And so to even uh, be walking around in purple clothing was a status statement. Um, and then this uh, mention here uh, of, of the idea of, of fine linen. Uh, D.A. Carson comments up on this and says, this is really the word for underwear, okay? And he's saying, even his underwear was good stuff, <laughs> okay? Uh, and so, interestingly, outside and inside, he was, you know, he was down at Nordstrom's or wherever you would go, you know? Um, but very rich, very, very rich. Um, and, you know, if, at the start of the story, you're thinking, oh, I want to be like him, you know? Uh, and the Pharisees, who would have been hearing this, are saying, surely God is blessing this man, right? He's got all this stuff, right? Um, and then in verse 25, it's interesting to note, we're, we're skipping around a little bit, but I'll get back to where we started. It says, but Abraham said, child, he's, he's responding back to the rich man, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and I think this is just a comment about this guy's, from a human standpoint, this guy's life went pretty darn smooth. No major bumps in the road, right? Nothing, no, no major problems that, you know, and sometimes don't you run into people like that? It just seems like, you know, um, nothing bad seems to happen or everything seems to kind of go their way. And we kind of get a little taste like this, what this guy's life was like here on the earth. So he was, he was rich, and he had all these good things. Um, and so, you know, you take a look now compared to the rich man, and then we come to Lazarus, right? And Lazarus here, in verse 20, it says, And at his gate, so at the gate of the rich guy's house. Um, and by the way, this... This gate, from what we could tell from the word that's used, is a 
It's like it's not like a little teeny like it's like a portico. You know, this guy's like living in a gated community type of deal. All right, so he's he's uh, the uh, Lazarus, the poor man, is laying out there. Right, it says at the gate he was laid a poor man named Lazarus, and this would not have been an uncommon thing that the rich folk in the town would help those who were less fortunate. And apparently, this Lazarus could not get around, right? So uh, someone, obviously, uh, helped put him there. It says he was covered with sores. So he was, you know, as the rich man was rich, Lazarus was poor, that poor, right? And uh, he was covered with sores, very ill. And uh, then it says, uh, he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table, who would have fed from the stuff that came off the table? Dogs. Right? And that just shows how desperate he was. The hungry man. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And I think the word there is actually, but the dogs came and licked his sores. It's almost like the dogs are the only one that gave him relief. It's very sad. Very sad story. And, uh, you know, if you're a Pharisee listening, you're thinking, well, surely God has cursed this man. That their explanation for somebody that was down and out was always like, you know, what sin has this man done or his parents done that he has found himself at this station in life? And so we have the rich man. And we have Lazarus. Those are the two, the two men in the story that Jesus is telling. So now let's get to the two destinies. The two destinies. And, and um, from our reading, you probably surmise that the two destinies are heaven and hell. But the Pharisees would have thought, well, surely the rich man's going to heaven. And the poor man, because he's cursed, is going to hell. But we have a, a reversal. We have just the reverse happening in this situation. So let's take a look here at verse 22. So it says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And let me just make a comment here about the beginning of there in verse 22. Uh, the NIV version says the time came when the beggar died. Now, I don't think it's a big deal, but I do want to mention that um, here we are, we're, we, we enter into the story and contrasting the two lives on earth, and all of a sudden, they're dead. Um, and I think it's just a good reminder that life is short. Life is short. Uh, the Bible has a lot of different ways that it speaks of the brevity of life. Think about some of these verses here. James 4.14 speaks uh, that life is like a mist or a vapor. Know, and it dissipates, right? Or life is like a wind that passes by. Or life is like a breath, that says in Psalm 39, 5. Or like a sigh, Psalm 90, verse 9. Think about a sigh. I mean, it goes by pretty quick, right? I mean, that's in comparison, right? And, and you might be sitting here thinking, uh, as you reflect back on your life, man, things have gone pretty quick. When I think back, 
You know, I'm 59, and I think back, you know, and I, Lord willing, I'll be around for a while longer, but uh, there are no guarantees. But I think back, you know, we have three adult children. It just seems like the other day we were changing diapers, or Linda was. No, I don't know. I did change some diapers. Sorry. You can ask her. Linda's my wife, in case you know. Yeah, a, a few of them. Yeah, three, one per child. <laughs> but, but, you know, and I think about it, it seems like just the other day I walked down the aisle and was married, or I got my degree from college, and, you know, it just boom, boom, boom. Does it seem like that to you? Yeah. I mean, it just, it's just so fast. And um, you, I don't think you can read this parable and not come away with the brevity of life as just a, at least a minor point. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Right? So it's like, you know, let's, let's live each day to the fullest, realizing it's a gift from God. Now, and so this parable reminds us uh, not only about the brevity of life, but it also says, tells us that there is life after death for everyone, but two different destinations, okay? Did you get that? There's life after death for everyone, but two separate destinations. Um, I didn't ask your permission, but can I tell that story now that I've got you in front of everybody, the hooks about how you guys, uh, you went to that Halloween event? You remember that? Uh, and some people have been, I'm just pointing that out, a lot of, many other people have probably been to the same event. There was a church in town that, or in the Columbus area that, that, that did this thing where it's like you see these two people, and then there's like a car wreck, right, simulated, and then you're thinking, you know, what happens in the afterlife, right? And I just remember you guys, uh, the, you guys tell me that that really had an effect on your life. And because you're thinking that this person was such a good person, and they didn't go to heaven in the in the uh, the little drama that played out, and this person had known Christ as Savior, but maybe had a lot of problems, and they end up going to heaven. And you're just thinking, you know, from a human standpoint, when you we try to weigh things out like that. Now, it, it does matter what we do with our lives, but the heaven and hell question as far as the destination, right, has to do with what we do with the person of Jesus, okay? That's really the issue. Um, and so we have uh, heaven and hell are mentioned uh, here, This and so there's this, um, uh, let's see, let me find my way back to the passage here. So it says, the, um, the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, right, he lifted up his eyes and saw far off, um, it says he saw far off, and uh, Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. Um, so after death here in, in this story, you've got to remember, it is a story, okay, and you can't take every little element and make something of it. Okay, I think it's important because I think there's plenty of evidence from Scripture where we see is that when, when someone's in hell, I don't think you're going to be able to reach over and look, take a look and peek into heaven. It's because it says have, uh, hell is the place of outer darkness, 
okay? So I think there's good evidence to say that that's probably not going to happen, but that's not Jesus' point, okay? The point is there's regret here on the part of the man that's in Hades. And you, you hear his regret come out in all of this. Now, what would you, what, think about this. If, if, you, if you died and you woke up and you're in hell, if you could see into heaven and you saw the guy, the poor man, the crippled man, the ill man that used to lay outside your gate and he's there in heaven, I mean, what, what would you think would be like an appropriate response? I'm, like, I'm sorry. How about I'm, at least I'm sorry, right? Or first of all, like, what am I doing here, right? That, you know, that, that would probably be my first list. What am I doing here? I thought that, you know, I was living the good life. God was blessing me. But also just, just the fact that you don't hear any, uh, every, anything in this passage, do you not hear any remorse or repentance whatsoever? And I think that's an important thing for us to realize. Um, this, this rich man, right, as he's in Hades, as, and in Hades, he be, being in torment, he lifted up and saw Abraham far off. Of course, Abraham, right, one of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, um, and also ele- he's elevated in the New Testament because it says he, he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, right? He, he's, he's, the, he's like, you know, it was salvation by faith back in the Old Testament too, even though the Messiah had not come, even though Jesus hadn't come. It's all by faith, right? Their faith is, was kind of trying to look forward to when the Messiah would come. Ours now is looking back at what Christ did and when we believe in that, right? And that's the faith that saves us, is that which is in Christ alone. And so, um, so here we have it says, uh, he's looking and he's seeing Abraham there, and he says that Lazarus was at his side. That's kind of a critical statement, Okay. You got the patriarch there, Abraham, and you're called to come sit down beside him? That's like the seat of honor. <laughs> See, so we're just getting all kinds of reversal imagery here. You know, this guy was the dregs of the earth while on the earth, but now he's at the seat of honor. Now he's at the seat of honor. So. Again, we're kind of just looking at some of uh, things that we can observe from this about heaven and hell, right? There, everyone will live forever, and everyone there is an afterlife, but not everyone's going to the same destination, and the criteria might just totally flip your ideas on its head in terms of what would get me there, okay? what would get me to heaven or what would get me to hell. Now, I think it's important, though, to, to not come away with, um, you know, somebody might come away and look at this parable and say, well, then that means, like, every poor person's going to heaven, every rich person's going to hell. No. Uh, when you read um, anything in the Scriptures, you need to also understand that in the context of the rest of the Bible, Right? So think about this. There are some God-blessed and godly rich people in the Bible, okay? Um, 
well, Abraham, okay? <laughs> he had a lot of, uh, you know, in an agrarian society, he had a lot of stuff, okay? How about Job, the richest man of the East? And he was a godly man. Solomon in his early years, rich, right, and, and was pursuing God. How about Esther, Queen Esther, godly woman in a position of power, right? Um, and so, so you can't just like say that, okay, rich people bad, you know, poor people good, you know. That's not how it's going to work. Now, certainly, certainly you'll see in the Scriptures that it is our responsibility as uh, believers in Jesus Christ to, to look out for the poor and to try to help meet physical needs. It's, it's something that we are supposed to do, okay? Um, and so we're, so, but, but the thing is, is you've got to realize that the Scriptures also tell us, like if we're kind of flipping things around here, realize that um, some poverty is due to people's own doing, right? When you look in Proverbs, and you see that it talks about different sources of poverty. Laziness, right? Not planning, not saving up for tomorrow, right? Uh, drunkenness, and so on. This, there are, I mean, so I'm just saying it's, having money is not the issue, right? What's the issue is what's going on in these people's hearts. and What's going on in our hearts, that's really the issue. Now let's take a look at some of the dialogue that's happening here after this. And it says, so, so as this rich man is, is in the story, at least, looking across this vast chasm, by the way, did you get that it was fixed? Nobody's going back and forth between the two. Okay? There's no, like, get out of hell free card at some point. Okay? I think there's plenty of other scriptures that you could go to that would also talk about that, the finality of that. He says, and he called out, Father Abraham, I feel like he might be playing some kind of a religious card here by saying this, even though he is the father of their faith. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, uh, for I am in anguish in this flame. Again, you don't get any remorse. I mean, if there's any... Uh, sadness is the fact that he's there and not in the other place, right? I find it fascinating, too. He wants God to send, or to Abraham, to send Lazarus on an errand. I mean, it's like still looking down on Lazarus. You get that? He's still, his heart's not changed. He's still looking down on him. Like, send out Lazarus over here, you know, let him help satisfy you know, um, because I'm so thirsty, because it's it, the, of the flames. Verse 25, but Abraham said, so here's Abraham's uh, response, child, remember that you in your life received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. He's just kind of pointing out this reversal, right? That's what he's doing. And then it says, and besides all this between us, you and a great chasm has been fixed, and in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to he, there to us. Then there's another statement that uh, the rich man says, and he said, "Then I beg you, get that? I beg you, 
Now he's the beggar. Now he's the beggar. Then I beg you, Father, to send him. Again, we're sending Lazarus on an errand. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that I may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You know, you could, you could identify with the sentiment, right, saying, I wish I could warn my family that this is real and things aren't working out the way I thought it was going to. You know, people often joke um, when they, they, you know, about hell. They say, you know, I can't wait to get there. All my friends are going to be there. Have you ever heard that? It's a, I mean, it's just a, it's really sad, actually, because um, you don't really know what you're saying, right? Uh, you know, imagine being in this God, to, you know, nobody's ever been in a place that was totally devoid of God. No one. Don't have any idea what that's like. So remove any common grace from the equation. And now throw a bunch of people in there. Look out. You will have no friends. Friendships probably end pretty quickly. Just saying. Okay, so we just people say that, and I know they say it in jest, but it's not, it's not funny. Right? It says, but Abraham, here's Abraham's reply. In his request to get a message, let's let's let Lazarus be the messenger. He says, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, what does he mean by that? Let them. They have Moses and the prophets. Well, that's their writings at the time, right? That's scripture. In other words, for us now, that would be like you've got the Bible. Jesus came and lived. The Messiah has come. He's risen from the dead. That's all written down. That should be all they need. And this is what he is telling, he's telling uh, the rich man. He's like, we have, we have a witness here about what God is like, about what he requires, and, and about the Messiah and so on. We have a witness to this. A message isn't going to do it. Okay? So now he goes on in verse 30, and he says, and he said, um, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I mean, now that, we tell you what, that would be a good one, wouldn't it? I mean, just think about that. What were the Pharisees doing all the time? Do a miracle for us, Jesus. Come on, prove to us you're the Son of God. And he didn't do them at his bidding, but certainly he did plenty of miracles at his time on the earth, right? Plenty of miracles on his time here to attest to uh, the authenticity of who he is. And I've heard people say this. You know, if God did a miracle for me, I'd believe. If God did a miracle for me, I would believe. Well, listen to uh, Father Abraham's response. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And my friends, 
He's already done that. Okay. Not only did Jesus raise a Lazarus from the dead, he himself defeated death. Okay. As Nick was sharing earlier, he rose from the dead three days after the crucifixion. So, you know, we, you could talk about the rich man all you want, but let's talk about us. We have a witness. <laughs> we have a testimony written right here in the scriptures, okay? And, and, and coming, coming here in, um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start through the book of Luke here, okay? Well, you know, Luke starts off with the Christmas story. We're going to use that to kind of launch into the book of Luke. Let me just read for you the very first few verses in the book of Luke. All right, so there's Luke writing. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And I'll finish the last verse in just a second. But did you hear that? He's like, you know, I'm taking all these things, and I've done the research, and I've done the eyewitness accounts, and I've been very careful to record them down. <clears throat> I don't really know who this Theophilus is. But, but it says, um, so he's saying, I'm, I'm doing this for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Presumably the things about Jesus and all that he did. The book of Luke is written so that you can have certainty about the things of the gospel and Jesus Christ. Okay. So we have a witness that's why I brought up Luke. Luke, this is a good example. He just kind of lays it right out there. I've done the research. I've done the eyewitness accounts. I've been very careful to compile this. And so we have here a witness. And as, as, as Father Abraham in this parable is telling the rich man, he's like, if they don't hear what was already written from Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced if someone even rises from the dead and has a message for them. Because it has to do with the condition of the heart. It has to do with the heart condition. Okay, and that's what Jesus was speaking to right before he got into this parable. He's pointing out to them, you know, Pharisees, you've got a heart problem. It's preventing you from entering the kingdom. You need to deal with that. You need to deal with your God. He pointed out money. Isn't that interesting? Right? Now, we, you know, it's so easy to be third person about this. And really, you know, if you've been around church long, we really like to rail on the Pharisees because they're just, you know, religious nuts, you know, just always, you know, uh, making Jesus to be out the bad guy, plot, plotting to kill him. Of course, that's not good. But just, but you know, the thing about it is, is that um, you may not bow down to an idol, but you may have a God. It's that thing or that person 
that is taking the place of the Lord God in your life. Could be money. Could be a relationship. Could be your job. I don't know. But unless you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and put him at the center, there could very well be, well, I know there will be a great reversal. Because maybe in your mind you're thinking, hey, you know, I'm not an axe murderer. We usually use that one, you know. We always compare ourselves with somebody that's, you know, down on, further down on the totem pole in our mind in terms of righteousness and doing good. But, but it's, not about, it's not about if your good outweighs your bad. It's about what are you doing with Jesus Christ and his straight statements about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's exclusive. Okay? Um, Jesus is, is loving, but he's truthful. And he loves us so much that he's going to say, listen, unless you get right with God my Father through the way that he provided, which is through Jesus Christ, unless you do that, you will die in your sins, and pay for your sins yourself in hell, separated from God for all eternity. And that's a difficult message, but it's real. It's real. Um, and, and, you know, and the thing is, is that we don't need a, we don't need a miracle. Right? And, 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 and even if even if God provided miracles and somebody you knew was that dead rose from the dead came and gave, say, it's real, it's real. You know, in many cases, it, it wouldn't do anything because our heart needs to be right. I was thinking about this, and I'll just kind of close with this. Um, this morning in, in Matthew chapter 5, thinking about the poor man, thinking about the poor man. He was literally poor. But he was obviously a man poor of spirit. There's no question um, because of what I'm about to read to you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit understand that they're a wretched sinner deserving of God's full holy wrath. That's poor in spirit. It's like you got to know your need, right? It's like an addict's not going to get better until they acknowledge their total inability to get out of that place. The same with sin. You know, we're, we're not going to be made right with God unless we acknowledge our total depravity, our inability to please God, but then also realizing God has provided in his love, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? He loved us so much that he made provision so that you can either accept Jesus' payment for your sin, which is what he was doing on the cross. Right? He was dying in our place because he didn't deserve to be there. He did nothing wrong. And it's kangaroo court, people. <laughs> read, the, read the account. <laughs> He was totally set up. But he willingly went there because he wanted to have a relationship with anyone who would say yes to him. 
want to. I, I recognize my need for a Savior. I'm a sinner. And Jesus is the one and only one. So I put my faith in you. Please forgive me. I mean, this anybody that's come to faith in Christ has had some kind of, let's call it a come to Jesus moment, okay, where you've recognized, man, I, I need Jesus. I'm a, I'm a sinner. He calls it out in Romans chapter 3. I mean, it's a bleak picture. But thanks be to God, as it says in Romans, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Christ came so that we could have eternal life, so that we could in that sense, be at Abraham's side and not in his. Two men, two destinies. It's all a matter of the heart and what you do with Jesus. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus loved us enough to tell us a story. That love says hard things. It says in the Scriptures, God, that you don't want anyone to perish. That's your desire. But many will choose to reject Jesus Christ. But many will choose to put their faith in Him. And so, Lord, we just put it before anyone here this morning that doesn't know really where they stand with you, that if they acknowledge before you that they do things that are wrong, that are not right in your sight that are either against others or against you directly or indirectly, however you want to do it, so I guess it's all sin against you, the Scripture tells us. But acknowledging that sin and the fact that that sin is what separates us from God. It says the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. It's spiritual death. Separation from God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you're here today, you're not sure of your destiny, you can be sure if you acknowledge your sinfulness to God and acknowledge Christ as the one and only Savior and ask Him in your heart just for forgiveness. Acknowledging your need and asking for forgiveness. And if you're here today, you've already done that, you can celebrate. You can say, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, for your grace in revealing your gospel. Jesus, only pray.